Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Spech. Hello. How's it going, Derek? <laughs> Fantastic, man. Good week? It, it's always good weeks. You know why it's a good week? Because right now, while this is playing, you're camping. I am. Yes. You are. Yes. You know what I'm doing? <laughs> Not camping. No. <laughs> <laughs> so we got, a, we got a good show this evening. We got a special guest. Uh, so let's just jump right into this, because I know this is going to fill up the whole time slot. Uh, let's just say, I went to the website. It says, with a natural curiosity of people and places, he backpacked around the world at the age of 25 for one year, a life-changing experience that permanently changed his outlook on life and how he wanted to live it. Moving to California, he began exploring the world of outrigger canoeing and kayaking and reignited a childhood passion for windsurfing and all things water-related. He soon began pushing his limits further and further in ultra-endurance water events. The Great Pacific Race, which advertised, You don't need to be a rower to row an ocean, led him to embark on his biggest challenge at the time, rowing as a team of four men from California to Hawaii. After that, he began thinking about his next expedition, and inspired by the stories of maverick ocean explorers, he began to plan his biggest expedition to date, crossing the mid-Pacific on a kayak with solely human power from California to Hawaii. As a member of the famed Explorers Club, he continues to dream big, thinking of his next big adventure, encouraging others to do the same, advocating to live life to the fullest. He hopes to his adventures inspire others to find their own dream and go after it. My bearded friend this week on our, as our special guest, Cyril Deramo. How are you doing, Cyril? Fantastic. So happy to be speaking with you guys. Oh, we're happy to have you on here. Yeah, We've been following you uh, for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, finally, I'm here. You know, it's only two weeks that I've been on land. So speaking to somebody is actually so, so <laughs> now. after 90 days speaking to no one. Yeah. yeah well, we're going to get into all that sort of stuff. Um, now, you've been paddling how long? Um, total is 14 years. So I'm, I, I'm 46 now and I started at 32, but only when I moved to California. Well, that's, that's you got a lot uh, done in those fourteen years. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, no, it, it's all gradual. You know, it it start you start, start slow. You know, you crawl before you run, and and then you find your pace. And and mine was to push a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and why not? And that's how it went. You have a list on your your website there of all these. Um, adventures you've been on and i mean there's been paddling adventures backpacking adventures and biking adventures i'm just going to talk about the paddling ones here the gonzo paddle 38 miles in san francisco bay touching all the islands oh that's a fun one is that like a yearly thing or yes it's every year yeah, you have to look into that one. So you had to do 38 miles through the bay and you had to what hop out and touch an island or just whack the island with a paddle or no, you can touch it with your hand or paddle, yeah. and as long as you touch rock, then you're good. Or you go around the island, but huh. it's fun. Everybody does it at its own pace. Um, you you know you you time it with the tides, so you actually save a little bit of time. But um, I think mine was like eight hours, but people do it in sixteen twenty. It doesn't matter. And then some islands we would not say which ones. There's actually you know place where you can have a little drink and, and stay a little longer. And <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Seven Bridge Challenge, connecting all the bridges in San Francisco Bay. It's a 62-mile run. 
Oh, that's a funny one. So it's, it's created by Sean Morley, who's a great paddler in the bay. And he said, oh, how about we connect all the bridge? And you have to time it with the tides again. Uh, but you go with average going tides, uh, probably for half of it. And then you go down all the way the, the back. And, and the record was 10 hours 30. And I said, oh, I think I could beat that one. And I'm going to be competitive. So I did 10 hours 15. <laughs> I think it's my own record. So I think I'm going to give it a go another, in a few months. <laughs> but that's the fun <laughs> one. You have to really time it with um, like really early so you don't have wind in the first half. And then from the Golden Gate down to the other side and through the bay, you have to have actually the wind that picks up. And, and then you can surf and gain some time. So uh, it's a fun one. You have to plan very much. And once it's a go, you, you got to go. See, that's the thing about where we paddle. We yeah. don't have to deal with tides. Yeah, I don't have to deal with tides. <laughs> yeah, we're all inland. <laughs> uh, Lake Shasta to Golden Gate Bridge, 340 miles from source to sea in nine days. Oh, so that one, I actually, that's the first time I was in a sea kayak. Um, and... That was COVID, uh, March 2020, and I my boat was stuck in England, the one to cross the ocean. Right. And I decided, I'm fit. i got to find an adventure. So I called my friend John Dye, who who has a non-profit called Rivers for Change, and he said, well, that, you know, that surf to sea is actually really fun. You just go down the river. It's really beautiful. It's wildlife. You can camp anywhere. So I, I got my first sea kayak, and um, I packed it up. I had all the food, the freeze-dried food you wanted in the world. I got nine liters of water and, and just went down the river, you know, 60 miles a day, more or less. It was a current. It was pretty easy to do. And uh, paddled all the way through the Golden Gate. Cool. Uh, great Pacific Race 2016. This was the biggie. Four oh, men yes. rowing from Monterey Bay to Oahu. Uh, 39 days, nine hours, 56 minutes, no support or assistance, and you ended up with a world record. Yeah, so in between, I have to mention the Yukon River Quest, and that was a big one for me, the 444 mile on, on the Yukon territories, you know, from Whitehorse to Dawson, uh, on a six-man and a four-man. That was, that was such a great experience for me, and that's the one that triggered, okay, I'm actually pretty good at ultra-endurance events. I'm not very strong, I'm not fast, but I can keep going. Right. Now, after that, I stumbled upon this website. There was this British guy called Chris Martin, and he said, yeah, indeed, you don't have to be a rower to cross an ocean because it's mental. And But obviously, you have to learn how to row. So I, I started sculling. And, and and to me, I look at all the paddle sports like some do music, where they're all related in a certain way. You have to learn the catch. You have to learn the, the proper technique and you know pull through in, in a, such a way that it's efficient. And it's all the same kind of instruments. It's going from guitar to piano. There, there's something related to... Um, you know, going downriver on on a on a canoe, or maybe outrigger canoe between islands, or surf ski, or K one. All these are just related, and I think to me, rowing is is also related to that. And I said, okay, I'm just going to do that. And <laughs> we we found a team, we we put a team together, and because we we're competitive, we said, if I do that that once in my life, we got to go for the record. And the record was 43 days. And we were a team of four nationalities. I'm the French guy. There was Carlo from the U.S., Thiago from Brazil, whom I had done the Molokai Hawaii a few times. It's a race in, in Hawaii. And Fian from Iceland. And we were the team United Nations going for the record. And, yeah, we had a blast in 39 days. Wow, that's that's not too shabby, eh? That's, that's amazing. Oh, no. And, and, and when you go for it, it's, you know, seconds count. And you go two hours on, two hours off, two hours on all day, all night. 
And, and that's where I learned a lot about uh, web navigation at sea, all the, all the tools for, for, you know, Plotter and the AIS, which is automatic identification system for safety, everything, you know, reading the, the ocean and, uh, you know, when to paddle, how strong and how to manage your effort through, uh, you know, months at a time. And, um, yeah, it was a very big learning experience. I loved uh, the ocean. Right. Um, and, uh, but when I finished, I said, never again. Like, this is, I mean, I love hell, but like, this is too hard. Like, this is ridiculous. If you <laughs> knew then what you know now. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, that's the thing about dreamers. Like you say never again, but then you start to read a few books about, you know, Peter Bray who crossed the North Atlantic in, in his kayak. And then Ed Gillette, you read that book, you know, the Pacific Clone yeah. Wow. And then you talk to Scott Donaldson across the Tasman Sea and I read this book again and and these people are so available that you you can jump on a phone call and then they'll tell you about it, you know. And I want to be available to anybody who wants to cross an ocean too because that's that was a, a stepping stone for me to say, yeah, actually with the knowledge I have in the rowing and crossing an ocean, I think I can do it on a kayak and 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 I'll give it a go. And you did. Yes, very very well. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so but that's that's part of the game. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, the next one was the Yukon River Quest, which you said, and um, that one we've we've talked about a few times on our show, and that's a, a pretty cool one. Uh, the Molokai Ho, forty-three mile outrigger canoe race from Molokai to Oahu. You did that one. Yeah, I did it four times. The Yukon, I did three times on the first on a Voyager six men, on a four men, the C four and the C two. All different experiences, different people in the crew, fun. The Molokai Hoe is is outrigger canoe, so it's a Polynesian, Polynesian canoe where six men, but it's a nine main change race. So every thirty minutes, two guys jump out in the water. There's a chase boat, and then you you, you kind of change the team like that. So it's really a bunch of um, one hour sprints, but it's super fun. You start from the island of Molokai and you cross the Kaiwai Channel, and you arrive in Waikiki. I mean, it's paradise, you know, you arrive over there and then they put a lay around your cor- your your neck and, and, but it's a six hour race. It's 43 miles and you do push your limits. You reach the wall, you know, you, you go pretty much sprinting all the time. So, um, and you do push your limits. And for me, it was the, the biggest race I had done at the time. I did it four times and that's one I'll do just like the Recon River Quest. I think as, as, as much as my body will allow, I'll, I'll always do those races. Right. So, the outrigger canoe one, when you say two guys jump out, is that the one where there's two people waiting in the water? And as the two guys jump out, the other two catch on yeah. and climb in? Yeah. It's, it's super fun. You, the chase boat will drop. It could be two, three, four, depending on how the, the coach decided the chance to go. But, yeah, they jump on the water, they splash so that the steersman sees them. And then, you know, you lose so much time if you do a bad water change. So. You, you train it, and, and the guys jump on one side. You leave the paddling in, and the other one just whoop, pull themselves up. Baff, let's go. Paddle. Boom, boom, boom. Catch the next wave. Oh, it's a blast. Yeah, I've, wow. I've seen videos yeah. of that, and we've talked about that yes. sort of thing. And it's like just watching the videos, you're just like, wow. That, <laughs> that's skill level beyond what I've got. That guy just jumped <laughs> out of the boat. That's <laughs> fine. That's the beard in your hand. Yeah, you know, right? <laughs> uh, the last one I got here is a solo kayak to Hawaii. 
San Francisco to Hilo, Hawaii, 2,400 nautical miles. Yes. That's the last one I got on my list. Which I guess we'll talk about tonight. So, yeah, I guess we should talk about that one. Mm -hmm. Uh, 2,400 nautical miles, June 21st to September 20th, San Francisco. Now, it was supposed to be San Francisco to Oahu. You were hoping to do 70 days. That was the plan. And as we all know, even the best laid plans... I've gone on uh, like two week canoe trips. Day two, we're already pooched. <laughs> uh, San Francisco to Hilo, 91 days, nine hours, 100% human powered, self supported, carrying all gear, food, and necessities. Only one man has ever accomplished a solo crossing before Ed Gillette, which you've mentioned. In 1987, ex- expedition was. Accomplished in 64 days and was done in an off-the-shelf 20-foot tandem sea kayak, carrying 600 pounds of essentials. That's crazy. Uh, progress was slower than he envisioned at 40 days, and he ran out of food at 60. <laughs> now, your first attempt in 2020 uh, was postponed because of COVID. Mm-hmm. The 2021, you got, and this, we actually talked about it, mentioned on a show, said there's this guy, Cyril, and he's heading out to go to Hawaii, and it's going to be really cool to watch. And then the next week, it was like, so remember we talked about Cyril last week? <laughs> uh, you had some issues, uh, weather, ocean conditions, equipment issues, and you had to, to, to bail on that. Taking that, now you seem like the guy that's going to learn from from failures and mistakes and stuff like that. What did you learn from that that you could take into your second attempt to make it more successful? Yeah, what did right. you change well, up? Yeah, let, let me step back a little and, and make sure that people understand the difference between a rowing boat and, and a kayak crossing mm-hmm. ocean. Rowing boat, there's probably uh, 800 expeditions that have done ocean crossing. Right. So rowing boat is much bigger, higher. You use oars, you use your legs, you go backward. And it's very efficient. It's a very sturdy boat. It's very seaworthy. Um, higher on the water. There's been 800 of those. Now, kayak across ocean, there's solo, there's been 10. Right? So there's no blueprint. There's You have to learn everything. And even though I had already crossed in 40 days of ocean and everything I knew, um, in some ways I wasn't ready for, for what the oceans threw at me. Um, I had three. Uh, the first attempt was three first days really clear that's what we need to get off the coast and then three days uh, out of nowhere the, the the professional weather router that was helping me couldn't see them it just changed like suddenly and i had up to 35 knots of wind gusting 45 and i had to be three days in the cabin and um i had a failure with my sea anchor that got entangled in my rudder right and um and safety was always for me the the, the, the most important thing on, on this and i'm going on an adventure an expedition. I don't have to prove anything to anybody. So if I feel I'm, you know, it's it's not safe for my life, I'll just you know call, call the coast guards, which I did. And and my friend said, you know, the ocean will always be, always be there when you're ready. Now, if you look at ocean uh, kayaking, um, Scott Donaldson, which I spoke about, uh, you know, crossed the Tasman Sea. It took him three attempts to cross. Right. The first one after a week, he had issues with technical issues, and then the second one was a week from arriving to New Zealand. Peter Bray in 76 days crossed the North Atlantic from Canada to Newfoundland to Ireland. It took him also two tries. Um, just because the boats are just uh, completely custom, there's there's no rules. You know, if something goes wrong, it will show in within the first two weeks. So, like you said, um, 
you can't see it as a failure as a, as a you know um, something to learn from and mm-hmm. and i had a conversation with scott donaldson and it was i i want to recall that one because it's actually funny and um he said cyril so do you think you were prepared i said yeah i was prepared you know for six days i was in the cabin i didn't find the confinement it was a problem i paddled great the first three days and you know my, i managed my seasickness yeah but you were rescued so do you think you were prepared yeah, I, you know, I, I was confined in the boat and sea anchor were great, but then it failed. But I didn't feel any fear in the strong. No, but you were rescued. So do you think you were prepared? Well, when I got rescued, I, I knew, you know, I did I studied navigation at sea. I had first survival. I had um, the, the VHF call. I, I had the right gear, the, the dry suit. I had the PFD that was perfect. I had the strobe light, had the, the flares, everything, you know, the communication. No, but... You were rescued, so do you think you were prepared? <laughs> Fuck, okay, I was <laughs> And so he took me to that, you know, to that place where I, I had done such hard work. Like I studied everything for, uh, for everything, you know, backup of a backup. And I had to go to the humble place saying, okay, I wasn't. And, and it's like if you have an, an addiction at some point and, and the first thing to, to get better is, is to recognize that you have that, that issue, right? And and so then he said, okay, all right, let's 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 start from there. You're training. How about doing more like, like super hard weather? Uh, how about, you know, on your boat? And then that goes to your answering your question is, what can you improve on your boat? Okay, you were swamped a few, several times on the cockpit. Can you add some better protection? Can you have like a, a, a manual pump to bail faster because your your electric one failed on you how about your sea anchor how could you prove it um you, you couldn't talk to your land support because you were outside and okay you need to spend the three thousand dollars of that external antenna so you can call from inside you know and then then you start the rock and it, it's not like one conversation it's over weeks mm-hmm. how can I improve how can I improve this and talk to all the people that you trust and and kind of brainstorm and invent new things. There's no blueprint, so you have to invent. In many ways, I couldn't take anything from Edgelet because his boat was so different. You know, off the shelf, it was an 87. He had no. The guy's a legend in my eyes. You know, he he um, he was sleeping and laying down in his cockpit, and put a tarp over himself, and you know, navigating with a sextant, no sat phone, all that stuff. And I talked a lot with Edgelet, and you know, I had to do my own homework. And, and I needed to be ready for that a year after. Um, and, and it took a lot of sacrifice. You know, we will talk, always talk about the adventures like these that are passionate. But, you know, I'm normally in, like a, in, a, in a company, I would have like general manager position. I, I have an international degree in business. I speak five languages. And, and I had to be say, okay, I can't find any job that's going to hire me for seven months. And if I tell them, I'm going to be three months in the ocean. You know? Exactly. <laughs> so I, I decided, okay, I'm going to do our jobs. I was, you know, uh, uh, working at a sea track, which is a, a local rental, and do tours with a kayak. And and I was a diver, and I went uh, diving with my friend, who's actually cleaning the hull of under the boat. And to me, that makes sense because it was part of it. I I'm going to be wet and cold. I need to be in that environment. And um, now. Um, yeah, these, these seem to be sacrificed, but when you're passionate, you'll do it. You know, I need to have a second go. A year from now, I'll be going and I need to be ready for it. So um, I felt like I was much more ready. Um, I trusted my boat uh, because I had spent more time on it, right. slept on it more. In rough water, I went off the coast of Santa Cruz, spent five days on 20, 25 knots wind. 
and see how I feel. You know, one of my issues on the first one was my sinker is entangled. I need to go out and swim on the back, but it's 35 knots. The boat's moving. I did that on training. You know, so um, there's nothing. You can read all the books, talk to all the people. There's nothing that will prepare you to what you have to do until you do it. Right. You know, and and and, and that was a humbling first uh, experience. Uh, don't listen to the naysayers saying you're foolish to try to do this. You're, you know, you're not prepared. And who would want to cross it? And you just have to go with your heart and, and, and be better. Right. So you can actually look at it and say your, your, your first attempt lasting two weeks was actually a good thing. A practice run. As a practice oh, yeah, run. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, totally. It was, it was, uh, I learned so much. Everything that I did on the boat, every modification was a game changer. Mm-hmm. So let's mm-hmm. talk about the boat. Uh, had to be custom made. You named it Valentine, mm-hmm. and that was after your sister? My sister, Valentine, yes. Va- Valentine. 23 feet long, about 800 pounds. Everything mm-hmm. on it's custom. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's self-writing, so in weather, storms, winds, and everything like that, if it starts to capsize, it'll flip back over. It's always mm-hmm. top side up, which is a good thing. Solar panels for charging uh, a couple of lithium-ion batteries. Has a uh, water maker, desalinator, plotter, communications, a lot of electronics in it. Um, boat design. There was the seating section in the middle. There was a storage section in the front, and then there was the sleeping and electronic section in the back. Correct. Sea anchors and a stabilization dagger. So, um. All the electronics that you had, there was what? There was, of course, your communications, your AIS. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, uh, there's navigation. So you have a plotter inside the cabin. And my professional weather router, Michel, in France, would look at the weather, look at the, uh, the strength of the wind, direction of the wind, uh, strength of the current, um, the waves and, and the swell, size of the swell, frequency and... and uh, all the direction, all this. He would send that to me. So then I would put the waypoint. He would calculate my drift and put a waypoint every day in the morning. So that would be my, my direction. Now, I can't look at the plotter from inside the cabin. So so once I'm outside the cockpit, I have a repeater that shows me my my hitting and and then how I, I do. So I, it just basically tells me the way. Um, this has to be powered by electricity. So I have two lithium-ion batteries that are charged by solar panels, like you said. Um, the other big, um, um, well, important piece of equipment is a VHF, so I can talk to other ch- other ships. Now, for them to see me, I've got another equipment called the AIS. It's Automatic Identification System. It's a system that any boats can use and have a, a transmitter, so I show to other boats who I am, and on their plotter, they can click. It's a touch, touch screen, and they see, okay, it's Ocean Kai Valentine is seven meters long. It's going to 0.5 knots in that direction. And I can see them because it's a receptor as well. So I can see this container ship is going at 15 knots in that direction and it's going to Hawaii. It's going to whatever, equator, let's say, um, for safety. Now, I also have an RTE, which is a radar transmission enhancer. And that pretty much reflects the radar that is sent from each of those ships back to them. So I have a safety uh, as well. And it's the one that is used by container ships where they think I'm big. Right. <laughs> 
Then for communication, I had a sat phone. I used Iridium Go. And so it's pretty much a unit that connects to the external antenna and you connect to the satellite. And on Bluetooth, it works with my iPhone and I can call, you know, make phone calls. It's pretty expensive. It's a dollar a minute, but it works really well if you need to speak to your land support. Um, I also have the Garmin Enrich. Um, that's the Explorer and that's for texting. So it's unlimited texting, very cheap, 50 bucks. It works really, really well. And and then I was texting. That was my main communication. Right. Now, for the tracker, I had uh, another equipment called the Yellow Brick. And that uh, pretty much wakes up every hour. You can set the frequency you want. It could be 15 minutes or every four hours. But it's an amazing piece of equipment But because what it does, it wakes up every hour. But at the end of my crossing, after three months, I still had 72% of battery. So what it does is... Is tracks and I can send information to to my website. People can follow me on the map like you did, uh, but also it's safety because let's say I lose complete communication, my battery dies. They could still see. Okay, that morning he still did the, the, the ten miles. In the afternoon he took a nap. I could see he's drifting a bit. He took another ten miles, and during the night he's drifting. If my behavior, let's say in terms of uh, um, distance, is a natural pattern, they don't have to worry. If I'm drifting for two days. Okay, there's something to worry. Now, there's two pieces of equipment that I have also for emergency. One is called the EPIRB, uh, Emergency Positioning System. So it's a beacon that's on the boat, and that stays with the boat. If I turn it on, it sends information on radio, on sat satellite, and, and also on different frequencies. Um, and that's for 72 hours. So that's really an emergency. I don't have time. I'm sinking. I press that button. And I have another one called the PLB. It's a, 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 a personal locator beacon. So that's on me at all times. I was attached at all times, even though it was super flat. That was uh, the biggest risk is to be separated from your boat. So um, I have that, you know, tether attached to my harness. And on that, I've got my PLB. That's also satellite communication, uh, but it's it's only 24 hours. So if I were to fall in the water, it would communicate the fact that I have an emergency, but it probably wouldn't save me because in 24 hours, if I'm in the middle of the Pacific, there's not going to be a rescue in time. Um, and, and that's the equipment. I mean, the, the water maker is, is electric as well. It's the biggest consumption of electro electrics. And um, I can turn it on for a couple hours during the day and midday when the sun is the highest and I can make my gallon of water, uh, sorry, uh, four liters of water, I don't know what you use in Canada. Um, and, and the backup is a manual one that I had to use at day 46 when the first one failed. Uh, it's a good idea because you need, you need water, especially when you get to Hawaii, it's super hot. You, you drink a lot. Yeah. But after that, there's a, a GoPro that, you know, to record all your souvenirs. And that's a, pretty much the electronics that I had. Okay. Uh, the front, like I say, that was all storage. <clears throat> that was all food and extra clothes and whatever. Because, you know, you were changing clothes every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had the 220 pounds of food. That's about 100 kilos. Um, and that's um, for about, you know, a diet of 4,000 calories a day. Uh, Freeze-dried food bars and, and supplements and stuff like that. Electrolytes for, for the water. Um and then part of it was in the front, part of it was in the back. And as I eat through it, you know, I had to replenish with ballast. And so I had these bladders I would fill up with water. Um, but, yeah, the food is a big, big compartment, uh, very important uh, thing. You know, it has to be light. So freeze-dried meals are uh, the most mostly used. Um, and I never used a stove, so I only put cold water on it. I, I thought I was going to, but 
uh, it's it's um it would be a, a, a luck. So I said, oh, I'm going to make a little coffee sometimes, you know, just treat myself. But in the end, you know, I did without coffee. Cold water is fine. It takes a little bit long, longer to rehydrate than hot water, but I'm not even there for for comfort. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, actually, that was one of the things we were going to talk about was the uh, the food, the type you had, the calories per day. Um, and, well, wait a minute, because we do the, on our canoe trips, we take the, the freeze-dried stuff because it's lightweight, and you boil up the water and, you know, while you're getting stuff ready and then you just pour it in, let it sit for 18 minutes or whatever, and then you eat away. Uh, but if you're not boiling, yeah, the, the, the cold water will definitely take longer. Mm-hmm. What were the supplements? I know Derek was curious about that. I know yeah. you were doing vitamin D. Yeah, so my sponsor is Standard Process, and um, they did one-day test completely of my my blood types and uh, I was low in vitamin D naturally so I said okay you got to take complements even though there's no sun I was actually hiding from the sun I had long sleeves a big hat and I had you know my beard but also you know the sun could be really really strong and and bad you could burn actually one of my knees got burned just by the sun so I would need vitamin D's Um, and then from my first crossing I said to them look I need something uh, for my immune system uh I cannot be sick. I can lose weight. I can be sleep deprived. I can be seasick, but I cannot be sick. I, I, so they gave me supplements for that, for my immune system to be very strong. Another one I really wanted is the um, the cognitive. Uh, my mind had to be super sharp at all times. And, and especially true when you're on solo expedition. You know, four guys could say, okay, you're, I think you're hallucinating right now. You know, be careful, you know. So... I remember my first crossing sleep deprived. I couldn't make like 3.2 minus 2.7. I just kept basic calculation. was really hard. And on that one, they gave me everything for the brain. So omega-3, you know, make sure that, you know, everything was sharpened. That made it a game changer. You know, I would think of the whole day of what post I would write. Let's say I would talk, post about adventure or about, you know, it, it was a very uh, spiritual journey. So I would talk about love and then, at the end of the day, I would be in my cabin, super tired. I would take half an hour, and everything would spit out of my brain, like very well structured, nice blog, and I would just send it like this. And that was a game changer, the cognitive ability. But then uh, the other ones would be, you know, uh, the turmeric would be a natural anti-inflammatory, so I would I would have that as well. Um, it was a lot of pills to take, but um, I really believed in them, and them, and, and in some ways, it could be just reassuring to know that. I'm losing weight, I'm losing fat and muscles, but my core, which is my my health, you know, is going to be strong. Yeah, I know when I'm doing long days, especially middle of summer on, you know, you're portaging your canoe and, and doing these big, big lakes and that. I used to, I guzzle water when I'm out there. But one year I found there's these electrolyte drinks and that mm-hmm. was a game changer, especially when it's yeah. hot and getting those electrolytes through the water. In the, and they come like as juice crystals now and you just add them mm-hmm. to your your analgene bottle and drink them and it's just what a game changer yeah i use them all the time uh, there's a brand that i like but um i think all the on the market you could find anything uh for us uh, on ocean crossing you use desal water so it has a little salty taste very, very bare but it's not great so you put that you have a little flavor of lemon it's great um what i also added to my diet is those um powder extract of, uh, of greens, you know, and that would bring my veggie uh, inside because otherwise it would be just carbs. And 
Uh, fat is great, so I also introduced the MCT uh, powders. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's a oh. very, very easy. So it's it's a uh, pretty much an extract of of coconut, but just the easy part and the, very easy to access for the body and very easy calories to digest. So I would put that on my freeze dried meal on top of it. Um, but I needed to make sure I had some fibers too, because one of the issues, well, after six weeks, eight weeks, you know, it could get constipated or, you know, some, some issues. So fibers was also very important and have these, these, uh, uh, legumes or vegetal uh, intake was also important. Um, and then pleasure food. I, I love olives. I have a little bit of these olives, 20 olives a day. And I like beef jerky and, and whatnot. Oh. I like, yeah, that's good. I mean, beef jerky is pr- probably not very good because it's hard to digest. It's only protein. You need to add more water to it, but it's just pleasure. You know, you need, you, you need that. Um, and then other things that you learn, you know, on really, really long um, crossing like this is that, you, you try to have the maximum efficiency in your digestion because uh, after four or 5,000 calories, you can eat as much and, and your, your body's going to digest it, but it's not going to extract the calories so that you're going to lose a lot of nutrients. Um, and, and the best way to do that is, is actually not to mix salty and sweet foods. So what, what I do is uh, only eat salty foods for maybe two hours and then let my body digest that and then only sweet foods after. Uh, and, and it's basic reason that pretty much, you know, I would say like whatever happens in your stomach, if you mix, if you're at home, it's fine. You, you could have a dessert and you could have like salty, it's good. But if you want to optimize um, the digestion system, and then I think, you know, not dilute too much with water when you eat. Otherwise, you know, the, the body is not efficient at it. Um, and, and find a way to, to not use too much energy on indigestion. And time it well with your, your workouts. It's things you learn like this. Yeah. So did you, uh, knowing that you're going to be losing some weight just because of the high energy output, and did you preload? Did you try and gain as much weight as you could before the trip? Yeah. So I did put on 10, 10 pounds, extra pounds. Now, when I did the, the performance lab uh, test uh, the, uh, before my, my takeoff at Center Process, the, the doctor said, actually, it's not the most efficient way to be um, for your body. The, I think your body is most efficient when it's lean. And if you feed it the, the right calories and nutrients, then you can recover it very fast. But my experience on my first crossing was I lost 15 pounds. And the first two weeks, I couldn't, I couldn't eat properly. I was seasick. You know, you vomit a few times, you feel better. But you try to force feed yourself because you have to keep calories in. You force, force drink um, to make sure you don't get dehydrated and you lose weight. The, I think I lost those 20 pounds. I lost 10 pounds the first two weeks. Wow. Just, oh. just because the body had to adapt. And I knew that and, and that was my strategy. I'm not I'm not a super athlete. I don't have a huge heart and, and my body is just normal. It was trained, but I knew I was going to need some help on, on that end. Okay, there we go. Yeah, it was, it, it, we noticed that, like, if you watch alone and stuff like that, when when people are off isolated and have to hunt to survive, and so they often for these trips they were like drinking olive oil and and stuff like that, just to try, try and gain some uh, some bulk up and some fat, so that the body has something c- to consume when they don't eat. But you had a meal plan where you, you said what you had four thousand calories a day planned. Yeah, so on my first crossing, 
when we were roasting, rowing two hours around two hours off, we had meals of 6,000. Wow. Um, but I, I, I was talking to Antonio La Rosa, who crossed the same stretch of water on the stand-up paddleboard two years ago, and he said, you know, I stand with three and four. Uh, and just because, you know, you have 10 to 12 hours of rest at night, uh, you want to have a big meal before you go to bed, but you could go with four. And um, the, the MCT would be my intake of fat. You know, it's a medium-chain triglyceride. And it, it was really good. Some people take olive oils, but the problem with olive oils is you have to carry those bottles. And usually, if it's plastic, it could break and spill. If it's if it's glass, it could it's heavy. So uh, I'm, I was really happy with the MCT powder. And and everybody will have a different experience. You know, you talk to all the ocean rowers; they, they have a super different um, ingredients they swear by, and it's just experience you, you gain. Yeah, everybody is different when it comes to paddling. Oh, absolutely, right? yeah. I mean, we notice that ourselves. That you know, some people do things one way, and other people go, "Oh, that's totally wrong. You got to do it this way." <laughs> and you get a third guy going, "What are you guys talking about? Yeah, you got to do it this way." Everybody so, has their own opinion, but everybody yeah. has bodies react differently, their metabolism, and and so on. So it's uh, it's really an individual thing as what your body reacts to best. Now, mm-hmm. you did training before you went, uh, mental and physical training. Now, the physical training, I mean, you're 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 paddling the the boat and you're testing on how to do like you said you you went out in the big waves and learned what happened if your sea anchor gets in there. What about mental preparation? So for the mental, I tried everything. Um, I'm I'm very emotional and that's my strength, but it could be a weakness. So I needed to to be able to control that. Uh, and in part, actually, chose, choosing my the land support was a, a big choice for that. But in, in mental preparation, I did Zen meditation. Um, I actually went in India. I did a week of, of uh, yoga. I do a lot of yoga. I think you know flexibility, and mobility is, is crucial. Um, but the yoga did a, a, a session of hypnosis, and the idea of the hypnosis is to to reach your unconscious and and create some certainty in your unconscious, so that when you have to to uh, to find them and they come out like self-esteem could be a part of it. And the way I explained it is like, okay, you, you can use hypnosis for to fix a, an addiction or a problem you had in your youth, but you can also use it by creating strong sentences that you repeat over and over. And then, and they, they create, they create a certainty in, in your mind. So um, he asked me to come up, come up with 20 sentences. And one is um, I'm doing it. And the first one, and uh, second one was, you know, uh, trust your guts or, uh, you can do anything for 10 seconds, take it set 10 seconds at a time. Uh, and the last one was you're making it to Hawaii. So he records it, he puts you in, in hypnosis and, uh, and then you're, you're listening to that same tape over and over, over the, the three years. Now I also had a coach, um, French guy called Pierre, uh, in, in Bordeaux. He's, he was a coach specialized in, in, um, in firemen uh, and and all the the things that they do to t- to um, approach emergency that the firemen in Paris do, and some of them, for example, I can explain one is uh, to manage your alertness uh, uh, to to danger. And if you're a fireman, you could be called. You don't know if the emergency is going to last two days, three days, four days. So you have to be able to manage your alertness level. If you're right on the fire, you have to be alert at the ten. But if after one day you come back to the station, you can't be alerted at 10. Even though the fire is still, still happening, you have to be able to go down to 5, right? Or if you're like on the truck and organizing water, you're not, you're not, you should be able to put it at 7. So we tried to correlate that to what could happen on my boat. And essentially we come up with 
saying that, okay, if, if the, the ocean is really rough and you're, you're out of the water, you should be at level 10, alertness 10. But if you go back in the cabin and the water is still rough outside, you should be able to bring it down to a five um, so that I would rest mentally. Mm-hmm. And another one would be, okay, then if the water is super calm, then I would bring it down to two and, and then I would be paddling, but still resting until you know I manage this alertness level. Another one would be a mental trick of uh, reframing where I'm an optimistic and uh, uh, very, I like humor and stuff. So I would, if it's pouring rain, I would say, oh, thanks, the universe, you're pouring me rain on me. You know, and, uh, look at it where uh, maybe you're all salty and it's, just, you know, it's heaven sending me water so I could be desal- desalinated myself or, <laughs> you know, and, and wow, well, you know, I took, I don't know, an example would be, it took me 49 days instead of 35 to reach halfway point. Well, you know, how do you frame that? So you, you recreate the, the, the reality into something that your mind will accept, right? Uh, another trick that Pierre taught me is really cool is actually to, to imagine that you're somebody else or something else in the moment you need, need to. For example, you know Rafael Nadal, the, the play, tennis player? Yeah. yeah, I love his mentality. So if I do sprints, I'm going to be Rafael Nadal. I'm going to be like, I'm not quitting. I'm, I'm just pushing hard. And then... If uh, Dasher Molly is another paddler that I know, he's really he loves rough water. So if it's really rough, I feel like personally I'm not good and skilled at it, and I'm going to say, okay, I'm I'm shunned right now. I'm going to be that, and it, you, it could be anything. You, you want to be Superman, you could be Superman. You want to be Hulk, you could be Hulk, or Pitbull, whatever you, whatever. Like you change your mind in such a way. So that's a mental trick to say, okay, you know, like I had a compartment that was filled up with water that got flooded, right. And I'm terrible at fixing anything. <laughs> I can do a little bit of everything. I'm a, I'm a sweet knife. I can do a little bit of electricity. A little bit. If I'm sick, I can do something. But this, it's epoxy. It's like drilling. It's all that. I'm very bad. I always feel like what I'm doing is bad. So I have a friend. His name is Denis, and he's really good at it. He says, okay, well, let's just do it, you know. And I, I glued this little drain under the, the hatch so I could then drill in it and then and, and remove the water. And I was Denis when I did it. <laughs> you know, and all work. so these are little men- mental tricks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get out, get out of your own head, sort of thing. Don't you know? You you got to do something to to block your own self, so that you can do what you need to do. Yeah, um, I I used also sometimes just music. You know, if I felt like I was a bit stressed, and just music to put it and not overthink. Um, I, I noticed on my first attempt that I'm very good at planning. So I will have option A, B, and C. And what if this happened? What do I do? And, okay, here are the things that could happen in this situation. And I would be in trouble when something unexpected or that had not planned preemptively in my head would happen, something very spontaneous. And and then then I would be, like, panicking, like, what do I do? Or, like, I didn't envision this. And and, and so my would be to to temporize. We say temporize, temporize in French, which is, uh, give it time, you know, like don't try to respond yet. There's a, sometimes you have to be in problem solving mode right away. Okay. You, you, you know, you stop the issue, stop the bleeding, stop the, the water coming in, but then you give yourself time to, to reflect and say, okay, what would be the course of action? There's A, B and C. And, and for that, my land support was, was amazing. Always, you know, calm your mind and, and calm your body. And when I was sleep deprived and we tried a few things, but in, in the end, just say, you know what, just accept it. It's going to be like that. You're in a freaking county in the middle of the ocean, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
talking about that maps for currents and stuff like that, weather charts, shipping mm-hmm. channels and stuff. Your you say your your land support helped you with all that, but you had stuff as well in so you knew about the, the currents where they were coming, you would your guys would be able to tell you this was heading your way, uh, especially when it came to storms, big winds, big waves. Yeah, so there's a general tendency that we know it's a pattern of uh, of, of California. The currents and the wind are pushing you south. So if you don't do anything, you end up in Mexico. Um, but then uh, there's the local current. The winds are changing every day, the swell. And up the coast of California is really gnarly. Um, as soon as you have, let's say, the wind is blowing uh, 15 knots for two hours and then changing for still 15 knots in another direction, then you're going to have like chaotic waters. And if the, if the current and the swell are different, the swell is coming maybe from Japan. It's huge. It could be, you know, completely different. So that, that was chaotic. And, and you learn to read it. It's, it's really fun. And I'm sure you've done it in your expedition where you, you're really good at running, like reading the river and, and how, it, how it behaves and where's, where's the eddies and stuff. And it, I think it's the same for the ocean, really. Uh, you know, in 10 minutes, I could read uh, the, the, the mood of the ocean that day. Right. And, and it changes all the time. After a while, you know, the, the angle changes, the wind, the, the easterlies start to go towards Hawaii, and it's a little bit more coordinated. So as soon as I had one of the three factors, one would be, the you know, the, the swell, uh, the ocean, the, the waves of the, the wind waves and the wind, and the other would be the current. As soon as I had two, then I would gain a little bit more speed. And then I would choose, okay, you know, I, have, I still have to follow this waypoint, but I have to, to keep the angle in the wave that way. And then, okay, I'm going to surf these other way, which is not towards a waypoint, but it's going to make me faster and then correct after. So, yeah, if you're if you're a good observer and you, you, be, you see how your boat behaves, then you, you know how to handle it. Cool. So your daily routines. Um, I mean, when you want to break it down simply, wake up, breakfast, paddle, lunch, paddle, dinner, <laughs> yeah, uh, like, did you need the consistency of a daily routine to keep yourself? Like, I suppose you need to kind of order your thoughts and order how you do things in a day, just to so there's to reduce some of the chaos, right? I assume that's what the stuck to a plan, right? Yeah, totally. I think the routine is crucial, and it's funny because I always say, "Come on, guys, get out of the routine of the regular life." And when I yeah. go and into an adventure, I go into a routine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's, it's crucial to have those automatism because um, uh, Erden Eric, uh, it's a, a big ocean rower. He's from Turkey. He's got the most time on, on, on the ocean. He told me the moment uh, you stop washing your teeth, that's the moment uh, it, you have to make sure you know you're, you're, you keep your discipline because it could be very simple. But if you stop brushing teeth, that means you're, you're lacking the discipline. Uh, and you have to have it. Like for me, yeah, waking up, uh, texting land support, um, looking at the ocean, uh, receiving the, the the weather from the weather router, opening the hatch, look outside, and then get ready. Um, I would always start by, you know, warming up easy and have a little breakfast, give time to digest, but then paddle four hours and a half, usually until noon, and I would take a break. I could skip the break. Like sometimes I feel like the water is running really well. I could do like 3.5 nautical miles an hour and I would skip it. But then then the next day I would pay it like, oh, that day felt super long. It was bad mentally. I felt tired. So I wasn't happy about my day. Just half an hour nap. So I would keep the routine even though the water was great. Then I would do my other four hour and a half, five hours of paddling. 
you know, on my vessel, I had the paddling, so I would uh, double paddles, or I also have the pedaling system. And that I, did, I decided to add, uh, so just I would uh, use my upper body and my lower body. Right. And also so that if I do have an issue with my my shoulder, let's say, then I could still pedal and, and not quit, right? Or the other qu- thing that I wanted to, to have is, Okay, let's say I take half an hour or an hour to have breakfast, an hour lunch, an hour dinner, and that's three hours where my boat is not moving. And I could go at two miles an hour if I pedal because I use my hands. Paddling, I can't do anything. I have to stop, right? So I lose the momentum. I lose the, swe- the swell. So I decided, okay, you know, it's, it's pretty simple. If I pedal three hours a day, I'm moving six miles a day for 70 days. It's 420 miles. That's a fifth of the, the, whole, the whole, just because I paddle when I eat. So those were the you know, decisions that I decided to do. The, uh, it kept my health really good, upper and lower body. I was really happy about that. And also sometimes the paddling was more efficient than the pedaling. Mm-hmm. And the way I would figure it out is you just paddle for an hour or you pedal for an hour. And then if you have half a, mat, half a knot faster, it doesn't seem like a big difference. But 10 hours of it is five miles in the end of the day. So uh, five miles times 70 days. It's always a numbers game, you know? Oh, big so, Especially uh, the first first uh, time when you have to go sideways to the wind, the north is blowing you south, uh, blowing from north to south, and you have to go west. So it's on your beam, and if it's upper uh, twenty knots of wind, it's really hard to have a really good stroke. So maybe you know I'll, I'll pedal for a day or two, and uh, some people will say, "Well, you're pedal. I don't care. You know, it's my adventure." <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then the next day. Maybe my waypoint is going to be, you know, downwind or a slight degree, and it's going to be much more efficient to paddle because I can feel the wave. And, I, you know, my, bo- my boat is 800 pounds, but it tracks really well. And once I have the momentum, then, you know, I could steer with the feet and I would go really good. I would go good, good mileage, you know, three and a half miles an hour for 10 hours. That's 35 miles. That's amazing. So then I would paddle all day. Um, so, but the routine, to go back to your question, yes, um, Make sure you eat your whole food, even though you don't feel like eating. Drink when you're not thirsty. You know all this when you do long-distance racing. You know, make sure you put your seat, your, you know, your sunscreen, cover yourself. Uh, and the hygiene is crucial. You're sitting on your butt for 10 hours and moving. Um, you know, you, maybe you sweat a little bit, then you can have sores really fast. And once they happen, you know, the saltiness of the ocean is not going to help you. With it. Any cut you do is, is not going to heal. So... Uh, be really careful. Every time I went inside the cabin, I would spend 15, 20 minutes with baby wipes and cleaning my whole body, removing the salt, um, you know, putting betadine um, at the right point and making sure there's no um, um, uh, no problem with the skin. Uh, I still had some infection and fungus on, on, on the feet because they're wet all the time and under the nails. But those are minor. And as, as long as they don't, you know, they don't get too bad, it's it's okay. You manage that. Um, and then after, make sure you rest. You know, if I feel really tired, I would I would take you know maybe an extra hour of sleep. Um, recovery is is under underrated, uh, I think. And uh, I, I never took any sleeping pills. Uh, one time I, I couldn't sleep for a few days, and you have to wake up every hour because container ship go fifteen miles an hour. So you look at your plotter, you can catch them on your plotter like fifteen to twenty miles. So in in one hour they could be on you. So if I, if I see one that is at the radius of 15 miles an hour, 15 miles, then I can say, okay, I can sleep for an hour, put the cooking time for an hour, and wake up every hour, <laughs> yeah. and and 
especially in the beginning, you know, when you start drifting, you're like, oh, I need to look, you're a little bit stressed. You get used to it, and then you sleep maybe two hours at a time, but your sleep is not great ever, especially if it, in a kayak is much smaller than a rowing boat, and you, the rolling and the rocking is, is, is really strong. I could only sleep on my back and, and tethered, you know, attached on, on the chest and the hips. So, but that's how it is. Again, you don't do that for, for comfort. You just get rid of comfort, and, and that's part of it. So you slept strapped in. You were tied yes, down? Most of the time. Um, sometimes, you know, I knew it was going to be flat, but the problem is, um, so I would have to, to find a way for my pillow to hold my head. Otherwise it would move all the time. And, and, and for the chest, like it would be fine for maybe two hours and suddenly like a rogue wave would come out of nowhere and bang. And then boom, you're lucky you're waking up and you're afraid. So for me, it was just like for reassurance, I would just strap it in very loose. Uh, and it's the kind of thing you want to be able to take it out if you have to go out very fast, no? Um, but, um, yeah. Huh. So, now uh, you mentioned uh, you had fungus on your feet and so on. Now, what other, like you said, you also noticed at one point you might have had fungus on your fingernails. Is, is These things might kind of come unplanned. Is there any other unplanned things? And, like, how would you cope with stuff like that? Like, uh, like I, I, I saw you mention one time the WD-40 solution. So <laughs> we were wondering what exactly is the WD-40 solution? <laughs> well, uh, no, it was, I was kidding that the WD-40 is so important for anything resting on the boat, right? <laughs> okay. So, yeah, yeah, I was just saying, you know, I want to put some on my elbow. Yeah. Um, injuries, I, I was lucky, you know, I'm, my training for the last four years because I, I planned to go in 2020 and the COVID happened. And I was ready to go in March. So then I postponed 2021. I was fit. And the way I look at it is some will say, okay, you're only paddling or paddling, so you need to work those muscles. But I look at the body as a one unit. And if your body is really efficient at anything, um, it, let me maybe recycle the, you know, the lactic acid. And it's a one, one unit. So I would, my training would be, uh, usually stay at a heart rate of 140 a bit per minute, but do long hours. And it could be two hours of cycling, two hours of, of paddling, two hours of running, and then maybe do some yoga. Or You know, I think it's just being healthy and, and not start with any injuries is key. And then have your body that can heal very fast. Um, yeah, so that I was lucky. Now, I had a, a great team on land. I had medical on, on call, and I used this company called Work Clinic, and they're 24-7. So anything would happen... You know, I would call them. Um, obviously, prior to departure, I had a meeting with my doctor. Everything was fine. I have a little bit of blood pressure, so I take this pill for blood pressure. It's, it runs in the family. Obviously, I had to take that and, and monitor that. But you go to the dentist, you make sure everything's going to be good because something happens, you know. Uh, and I was lucky. Nothing happened, really. At one point, I had a little bit of uh, ear. I, I hit my ear, so I had a, something injury there, make sure it didn't get infected. And then also I had the inner ear, um, not the inner ear, but inside the ear thro uh, throbbing a little bit. And that was from the wind. Uh, it was coming from my right uh, all the time, the starboard side. So then, you know, just basic, okay, just cover your ears and they'll be fine. Um, I had a bit of lack of fiber, so I had a bit of blood in the stool, not to go into too much details, but that's, that's something that happens in this and, you know, and, and you monitor it. And like for three, four days, it's get, getting better. You know, okay, it's, it's that kind of blood. So it's not in the digestion. It's not bad. You're going to be okay, you know. Um, but I was lucky, you know, no no soreness uh, whatsoever. A little bit 
sometimes in, in the end, my tendons would bother me. Uh, so I would put, you know, straps on it and, um, you know, some massage and anti-inflammatory. Like, uh, the, I was very, very careful of changing uh, my stroke because I didn't want to have any injury in my stroke. I had three paddles and one is a small mid-wing, uh, like kind of surf ski. And I had two other that were more touring, like different size blades. Some were oval shaft, other were round shaft. And I wanted to be able to shift. And in fact, I use just one pedal. It's a, the Epic brand. I just love that one. And the way I would do is change the, the, the length of the pedal. First, I would start with two, 215 plus 9 centimeters. That would be my starting. And then if I felt tired or shoulders, like maybe my top end had to be a little bit lower, then I would paddle a little bit more with the arms rather than the core, like your top. Right. Uh, maybe change, like maybe a bit more horizontal. So my paddle would be less efficient, but I could keep paddle or I would shorten the blade so that, you know, I put half of the paddle uh, of the blade only in the water instead of the full blade. Things like that is change the stroke. Sometimes if, if the, the, the wave were really pushing me, then I would go fast pace, but really no intensity. Other ones would be like slow, heavy water. I would go slow, super slow. You change your stroke so you just don't get hurt, you know? Yeah, save some wear and tear as exactly, well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, what else we got here? So let's talk about the ocean itself. The boat trip. When you were, I mean, you're getting close to you know to the western coast. There's going to be boat traffic. Then when you're getting close to Hawaii, there's going to be boat traffic. How much is there actually? Between because there's the shipping lanes. Yeah, do, it, were, is there any shipping typical shipping lanes out in the mid mid ocean, or is well, that it's just, all willy nilly? Yeah, no, they are. Uh, it's like it's like the airplanes. You have uh, different altitudes you have to keep when you reach a, a city, and it's the same. There's shipping lanes. It's like a highway, and you see it on your plotter. And you start to try to stay out. And now the shipping, uh, they're professional, so they they see you coming, and they they want to hit you. They don't want to hit another container ship, so. Even though I wouldn't do anything, I would be pretty safe. But you're, you never, um, you could always have a technical failure where you think you're emitting with your AIS, but you're really not. And it actually happened. The boat started to be like a mile away, and you call in on the VHF, and you're, there's a protocol to call them, and you say, "Hey, do you see me?" Do you see me? And oh, I don't see you. Well, I'm here. You know, I'm this I'm a six, seven meter one uh, boat, and I'm kayaking to Hawaii. But that's really off the coast of California, especially. You're, well, off of San Francisco, and that's part of the reason why I decided to go from Monterey this time to have a little bit less traffic in the first days. But then Los Angeles, there's a lot of traffic. But as as you go first further west, then it's less and less. And then in the middle, there's probably going to be like 2,000 miles where you're pretty much not seeing anything or anybody. You know, right. and, and when you get to Hawaii, you, you see you see the planes that are coming to Hawaii. You say, oh well, my girlfriend's been there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then the computer ship—you're actually happy to see them. <laughs> you're yes, like, yeah, exactly, you're yeah. another human. <laughs> um, weather. So, you had to deal with rain, big waves, big wind, calm days, mm-hmm. and you just. So when you there, there was days when the when the days would be bad, and you would just stay. You couldn't paddle those days, so you'd stay in your hatch, and then. Was there any time that you thought, oh, well, everything's nice now, even though it's nighttime, maybe I should go out and get a little bit of paddling? Or was that just a n- not thought mm-hmm. at all? Oh, yeah, everything was soft. Everything. <laughs> so, uh, 
with my land support, we decided I would never paddle at night just for safety. And then 10 hours a day is pretty much what my body could sustain, you know, for 90 days in a row. So I didn't want to overdo it. And that's, so it's just decided we're not paddling at night. The only day I paddled at the night was the last day. I started to drift. And at two o'clock in the morning, I was like, okay, I'm going to miss the Hilo Bay. I got to start paddling. And, and, and Dave said, okay, I'll just enjoy the stars. It was a beautiful, clear day. And my last day, I saw the sunrise. It was beautiful. Um, but in terms of weather, there's no perfect weather. And you always want, you know, the glass is greener on the other side. If it's really rough, and then you want calm water. And you know, once you have calm water, you're not moving. And you're right. like, what? I'm doing 1.2 miles an hour. I'm not doing my 20 miles that I have to do. And you want a bit more wind. And, yeah, the, the I didn't like uh, when it was above 20 knots. And, and the one little scare was the the Hurricane Estelle that was heading my way. So the weather writer knew that about a week before. So, okay, there's this thing coming off the coast of Mexico coming your way. So you can have winds up to 30 knots or something. So then you prepare mentally. You say, okay, I'm, right now there's nothing. You know, I'm going to keep paddling my normal routine and get prepared. And if you know the, the weather is going to be bad and you prepare, you know, inside the cabin, nothing has to move. On the cockpit, the same. And But uh, I was happy that they actually declined to a tropical storm and, and then – there was just one day out of the 90 days that I was uh, in the cabin, uh, not paddling, and that was one of those days. I could have paddled, but I think it's just for safety again. There's no reason to struggle against the wind and make it five miles. I might as well rest the whole day and the next day do a better better mileage. Uh, so these are all decisions you take with your land support. Um, um, yeah, I was really happy. I was lucky. This year there was no hurricane. Um, the issue was at the very beginning, I wanted to leave early June, and that's the best time, you know, longer days, better temperatures. But uh, Chris Burdish, who left with his, you know, um, sail, um, he had he had this uh, wing. He left early. He needed the wind. And I couldn't take that window because that would have been similar to the 2021 or three days good, three days bad. So I decided to wait, and that's kind of a gamble because I need to go before June. Otherwise, you know, 70 days, pushed me to September and September is hurricane season. So, um, but the 20th of, of June, yes, three days that turned into five days. Perfect. No wind, a little bit of wind, like four to five, you know, knots. So flat, perfect. Let's go. Um, and then after 90 days, you can have anything, you know, you can have, look what in your house, you have 90 days, you have good weather, bad weather. You just have to have the right gear. And, and, and I, I was really well prepared for any kind of weather. Um, and then you just adapt. And, and uh, one of the motto was adapt and, um, uh, and execute. Um, the ocean is going to change, and just whatever it is, just adapt and, and execute. Our big thing is always just go with the flow. Yes. Right? That's all you can do. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. So talking about nighttime, calm, calm ocean, no light pollution, full stars mm. above. Yeah, it must have been mm-hmm. amazing. That must have been like just absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah. I didn't do. I didn't go out. I didn't. I actually didn't see any sunset the, the first months because I was so exhausted. I would just go. You know, the sun would go down at seven seven p.m. So I'd stop paddling at five thirty, and I'd do my routine after I had to make water, but hygiene and go to sleep. I didn't see anything. But those calm days, sometimes I would go. There were a few days where the full moon was out. Like it was so beautiful, and that's when I decided to go. But I didn't, in truth, I, I didn't go more than twice. 
Yeah. And, and that's a shame. Yes. Um, um, yeah, I just went twice, and then you look 360, and you're like tired. Okay, let's go back. Uh, <laughs> yeah, couldn't take any pictures, videos, but uh, you know it's part of the experience, I guess. But yeah, I think it's I think it's one of the things you, you think you would do if you were in the boat, but um, the the survival mode is 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 just pushing you to. If it's not um, helping you in any way to be more efficient, more rested. Like even taking GoPro, I've been filming for my GoPro for four years because I want to make a documentary about the crossing and the making of. <laughs> because it's funny, people say before you do it, are you crazy? Why, why do you want to do this? And when you once you do it, they want to know how. Yes. So I, <laughs> GoPro will be okay. I want to show you, and that was a struggle for me just to turn it on because why? Like it's not helping me in any way. You know, it's not eating, sleeping, and paddling. So. Why would I do it? And, and I, I think I did a pretty good job to catch good moments. Yeah, I, I guess it's uh, sort of you've got that image in your head, but until you actually do it, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. thinking it and then doing it are two totally different things, right? Yeah. So yeah. like you say, yeah, you, you got to think, oh, man, I can't wait to get out there and, you know, sneak out of that hatch and look up at the sky and see the, the Milky yeah. Way and all the constellations and then uh, forget <laughs> it. I'm too tired. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's so cold. I'm back in my bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, in the off hours, like at nighttime, so one of the things I noticed early on in the track, depending, because it was uh, – currents and different winds like i noticed there's a lot of drifting at night when you weren't paddling so that must have been that must have weighed a lot on you to uh you know to consider it's like oh i you know at one point on one night you had drifted five miles back towards uh california and the, so the next day you had to gain that ground again so like the sea anchors help but is i suppose that's something that you really just you just have to deal with it and take it as it goes right yeah, so the, the strategy whether to put a sea anchor or not is, is um, several, um, there are several characteristics to, well, reasons to put it or not. One is, is comfort because it'll put your boat perpendicular to the wave and it'll sleep better, a little bit better. It slows down your boat so that it slows down your drift and you could put the small one, the drogue, or you could put the big one. Now, the, the big one can bite you in the butt because if the current is stronger than the wind, it's going to take you, it could take you up north and you lose more ground. Uh-huh. So, and you have to, I actually use the sea anchor every night, uh, usually the drogue, the small one, just for comfort. And I think it was detrimental to my mileage. When it was favorable, I, I did less mileage than I could have. The, the wind would have pushed my boat in the right direction and the current as well. But uh, it's just for safety. You know, I, I, I kind of felt like that. I love this little sea anchor. And, um, I know there's there's boats out there like rowing boats that are meant to be uh, catching the wind better and then being really good drifters and then you know you paddle 20 miles a day if you wake up and you've done 10 without doing nothing that's awesome it feels great but it's part of the game you know there, there's nothing you can do the ocean's big it's it's it's, it's mighty it's bigger than you and if you start cutting against the wind you're in the wrong sport um, I think it's really just all right you know I lost five miles. Um, a spiral two miles an hour is going to take me two hours to go. And then after the day starts, but um, uh, part of the thing also is to goal setting. You know, if, if you say I'm going to do 25 miles today and every day I'll do that. So I'll get to Hawaii in 75 days, blah, blah, blah. It's a wrong, wrong kind of setting because maybe the weather is going to be really poor that day and you end up at 20 and then you start having negative thoughts in your head. 
So mine was to do, okay, I'm going to do my 10 hours. If I feel good, if I feel great, I, I'll, I'll do another hour. If I don't feel good, I'll stop at nine. Uh, but my objective is to do a time. And it doesn't matter if it, if it's, uh, I'm drifting, I'm catching the drift from the day before, I'm really good. Um, it's, yeah, it's just goal setting is important. Yeah, it comes down to, like you say, a numbers and variables game, doesn't it? You know, mm-hmm. you, you gotta, you, you gotta pick and choose and hopefully all the decisions you make are the best, most efficient to get you where you're going. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you make mistakes, obviously. You know, it's like a, a general matter of a company. You have to take 15 decisions a day. You're really good if you make 12 really good ones. And then right. it, you just have to make the decisions. And on the boat, it's the same. You have to decide um, and without regretting any decision. Um, you could say, oh, maybe I should have put the big sea anchor. Who knows? I like, you could drift favorably for three miles and then completely ch- change like a boomerang and go back 20 miles back, you know? So, <laughs> yes. um, yeah, and again, my myelin support was was amazing and just to level me down and put me down to when I felt like, ah, you know, uh, maybe I should have done that, you know. No, don't, any mileage is good. It's, it's towards Hawaii, that's where you want to go, you know. Okay, yeah. that's um, the past in the past. Today's today and tomorrow's not come, so think about today. Yeah. So mm-hmm. let's talk while we're on that sort of thing. Your mental health while you're out there, good days, bad days. Mm-hmm. How... Did you have a lot of bad days where you, you got too much in your head thinking about, oh, maybe I'm not doing well. Maybe I ought to call it a, a day. Yeah, no. Um, so my, my – there was the – I think day 10 or 14, I had a second departure where I, I had really to commit and, and had many things I had to fix. You know, the, my steering line was super stiff. I had the flooded compartment I had to drain. Um, had issues with my batteries and, and, and the st- water maker was starting to make noise and, and I had to, to commit and that, that was crucial to me to do it. But then after there was midday, I remember, look, uh, wow, I reached 49 days and I have another 49 days, 50 days to do. And that was a bit hard to swallow. But then, you know, we, we shifted the objective instead of the objective is to reach Hawaii. Like, you know, I'm paddling to Hawaii is, I'm going to enjoy the journey towards Hawaii. And it's a day after day. So that was a thing we did. Um, mentally, I didn't feel really bad. I, I, I wanted to have a consistency. So I never call it a success until I saw land. Right. And, you know, I could have said, oh, there's only 10 days on the paper. It's 30 days. You know, I'll get there. It's, it's done. No, 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 no. I was really super cautious. I could twist my ankle and then I would have to call it quick before getting there. So, um, yeah, mentally, I think I did good. Um, I'm very emotional, like I said. So um, I was missing a lot of my friends, and and maybe I put a song that is remind me of something, and I started. To, I think I cried every day of, of overwhelming <laughs> emotions, and I, I loved it. You know, it's part of, part of me. And but I would have to make sure that I didn't go too long in that in that state. Um, and another obsession, not obsession, but uh, you know, I'm always trying to see okay, what could prevent me from not reaching Hawaii. And so I would really be careful. Okay, I feel the steering lines are, are, are really stiff, but this is not going to break. Like the dynema is impossible to break. So if on the back I could swim and look at my rudder, it's feel, okay, it feels good. Now what could break on this system? Oh, the, the pedal is actually starting to twist. Maybe the hinge is going to get a little rusty. So I would overthink. I don't want to lose my steering system. And I would do the same for the water maker. Oh, the first one broke. I have the second one. I need to make, you know... I'm always trying to prevent issues 
from happening before they happen. And, and that could go a little bit too much. And I overthink it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Dave would say, you know, I think you're overthinking it. Just basically, you're, okay, stop. Right? You know, let's just do a liter an hour. I wanted to one day do like 10 liters. I said, no, you're going to overuse the, the second. No, just do two liters a day. If it doesn't break, don't sweat it. It's not broken, you know. Right. And and that what's what makes the the Edgelet expedition so amazing to think about is he was completely unknown. He had no conversation with anybody. You know, I had technology. I could text Dave. I could call him if I wanted to. So I was alone. I was solo, but I was not really not solo. Uh, I was unsupported for sure from A to B, but, you know, I had thought about I had all the tools and things, and he had some, but he had failures that he couldn't repair. But you got to have uh, uh, had some good conversations with yourself along yeah, the way. Talking to yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I need to hear a voice. <laughs> you won every argument. <laughs> <laughs> Me, myself, and I. Yeah. 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 All three of you. Uh, my thing now, your tracker, when you go to the website and there's the tracker there and you go to the days and you put your thing, I was impressed with day 70 because that was mm-hmm. a day you thought that was your goal to make it there. Yeah. But you and, – and I was interested in seeing that one because you turned it around and basically said, well, that's what adventure is. Yes. You you try to make these goals. If you don't make them, it's still your adventure. It's still your trip. You're still doing what you wanted to do. And I think mm-hmm. for me, that was one of the one of the biggies because I was interested in seeing what happens if you didn't make it to that deadline. And it yeah. seems like you, 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 you didn't dwell on it. You didn't turn it into a negative. You had to look at the positive side of it and go, yeah, I wanted to make it, but I'm, I'm still going to make it, mm-hmm. you know, which is which was really cool to, to read that little. Yeah, thank you. Um, I really tried to be very personal on, on all my posts, and sometimes I went very philosophical. And <laughs> when I said the one on love and our brotherhood, and you have to treat everybody like brothers, my girlfriend was like, are you sure you want to do that? Yeah, just do it. I don't care. I could be dead tomorrow, so. Whatever people like it or not, and in the end, being true to yourself is the best recipe for for you know being connecting with people and 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 I was so happy to to the feedback of people like you saying you know this one piece of love really touched me, mm-hmm. um, and then you never know who you inspire. You know, there's this friend whose dad goes to San Quentin. It's a prison in California, and um, he goes with those prisoners that are uh, lifers, and the one I spoke about looking at other people's like brothers, it really touched them because they're, they have a community and they're going to spend their lives together. And then they were like, okay, maybe we should look at each other like brothers and try to cope with, you know, confinement. Or they looked at me being confined in my least thing. Oh, he's like in the hole. So one of the things I have to do is go back and I'll visit them, uh, those guys. Um, or a kid, you know, Logan, 10 years old, to say, I watch you every day. And it's so good. Um, but yeah, that, that one blog post, I had to, you know, you, you have you have to think positively, um, and that's adventure. You, in somehow, you know, there's visualization where you, you try to imagine yourself arriving in Hawaii or any kind of goal, and or you visualize, visualize the whole trip like you do any race. But the reality is always different, mm-hmm. always. And there's, you know, just the event happen, and, and the ability to change and reframe and see see things for what it is, um, and, and and embracing it is is part of the success, I think. And I think as well when – what does Scott say? Um, 
true adventure is when things don't go as planned. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. the adventure starts when when your plan falls apart, somewhere along <laughs> that lines. And I think that's true. You know, mm-hmm. you you plan out. Now I've got the the nickname dossier because <laughs> oh, I've got notes and I've got plans and you know, um, <clears throat> sometimes to extreme. But you know, and people are worried about well, what happens if it doesn't go according to your plan? Make a new yeah. plan. <laughs> Make a new plan as you go. And like I say, I was we we been on trips where day two, well, that's out the window. You know. <laughs> Yeah, and and you start again, but but that's the adventure. Yeah, you know, and you you got to look at it. And I mean, when you're out there for for you know three months, mm-hmm. you, you got to look at it as okay. Well, now we're just going to deal with this, and it's part of the adventure, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, oh, excuse me. Go ahead, Derek. Yeah. So, and you came across a couple uh, situations where things weren't. Wouldn't, didn't perfectly go to plan. So, for example, you had planned a seventy-day crossing, but you only brought eighty days worth of food, and you ended up doing ninety-three days, and so you ended up having to ration. And uh, you uh, had a primary desalination, what twelve volt or something, and it broke down. It seized up, and you ended up going to the manual uh, desalination pump. So the mm-hmm. it, so it's you you did flow you did roll with the blows and stuff like that. So was there was there anything else that uh, had come unplanned? And to talk a little bit about the uh, the rationing and and the the water issue and stuff. Mm-hmm. So the the rationing is a numbers game as well. You know, I had I thought it was going to be seventy days, but it could be ten, 10 more. So I had eighty days of food, four thousand calories a day. Um, now I. I I would have reached half point at 35 days, but I did it 49. Okay, let's say 50. That means I had 30 days. And that's one of the things. I wanted to start rationing early. And, and Dave said, no, we'll, we'll see it later. You know, don't think too much about it. You might gain speed. And so we, we reached halfway point, And I said, okay, I have 30 days left. But if I'm as slow as, or let's be optimistic, as fast as I was the first half, <laughs> uh, then I'm going to make 50 days. But I only have 30. Well, how can I do that? Okay, so, well, I still need a certain amount of calories. So from th- uh, 4,000, I decided to increase or remove 1,200 kilocalories per day. So I would still have enough per day. Um, I still I felt like I was rationing, and hence I lost the, the fiber part of it. But then what I would do is I would take the ration of two days and create one day. So essentially from 30 days, I could add another 15 days. So that's 45 days. I was short 50. Uh, sorry, a short five days out of the 50. So then we decided, okay, let's go like this and see how we go. And and in the end, we were a little bit short. I would arrive like the day of. So we, we then decided instead of Honolulu, we'd go to Hilo, which is the first island, and we're going to shave five days. And the logistics behind it, you know, I don't have to take care of this. So oh, don't worry, it's okay. You know, my girlfriend organized the, the welcome party and changed my parents' flights and from France and, and the Airbnb, whatnot. And they all made it like it was no problem, and that was helping me uh, because the, the, the expedition was to finish. It yeah. didn't matter, and and in the end, I finished with the extra five days there on, on, on top of it. Um, the water maker was a backup, but what I noticed is I had backup for everything. Like if my battery died, I would have this portable GPS, and I had the Trulé batteries on on the. Uh, you know, airless bags that I had made myself. And I could do the 70 days on this little GPS. Um, but it was 
very uncomfortable to me when the first option would fail. And I was a source of stress. My water maker, I didn't, really didn't want it to break. And when it broke, it was like, okay. So the engine just started to fail. The fuse pops. I changed the fuse, the 10 amp fuse. I opened the box. I put it, turn it on. Paf, again. Okay, that's dead. It was making noise, like weird noises. So I went to the back of plan, but that was, that was a source of stress. Just like if I had, I knew that if I, my battery fails, I lose communication, but they see my tracker. It would have been a source of stress not to be able to talk to them, you know. So um, I'm glad that actually not many things went wrong. Um, so when it came to the the quantity of food and rationing, uh, I, I see it does, doesn't appear that you're taking any consideration to do any fishing along the way. Like you didn't bring a stove, you weren't would have been able to cook any fish up. So is was the fishing not a, ever a consideration, or is it just not worth the time? No, uh, first. Um, so I read some things about if you if you get some fish you do have to ice it for a few there could be some you know bacteria in it and, and you can eat it sushi style but um, you know there could something could happen and I'm not really much of a good fisherman anyways um, and and also I, I imagine you know, bringing that tuna in and like super heavy <laughs> yes <laughs> and, and I said okay I'm not gonna fish I'm gonna have enough calories to do that. <laughs> Because that's, that's the time you catch the biggest fish ever. <laughs> Marlin coming out like, what? <laughs> uh, let's talk wildlife. Uh, mahi-mahi, flying fish, birds, dolphins, whales, marlin, shrimp and squid jumping in your boat. Yeah, blue shrimps. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Oh, um, I had this thing with the birds. I, I um, My first crossing... I, we couldn't stop. I, there was a bird coming out of nowhere, like in the middle of the Pacific. There's a month you haven't seen land, and there's a bird flying in, like, wow. And I couldn't enjoy So there's many things that changed in the second. It was more about adventure. When there was the birds, I wanted to see them. And the fact that I was going forward, I could catch air, the, the, the adventure in front of me. Um, and the birds, so I, actually the story is I went to get this, this tattoo, the Polynesian tattoo, and I explained to the guy, you have to see it. I mean, here's the big reggae and you know, smoking and drawing and reggae music. Oh, wow, tell me, my brother, what's happening? I'm crossing this ocean. And, well, you got to have a bird. I said, I love the birds. And, yeah, the birds in the Pacific are, you know, they're good omen. They're going to take you from the beginning to end. And and they'll, they're amazing. So, okay, so I got a bird. Was it that uh, there's a bird on my bird tattoo. In yeah, and they were very, very important for me because they, they followed me from California. They're different kind of birds, more like gliders and albatross and the coast of California. And then then as you go towards Hawaii, the, the change will be more the, the one that catch the flying fish in the air. You know, the frigate birds and the other, wow, so beautiful, right. so beautiful. But they, I felt like they came to check on me here every day. And how you doing? You know, okay, let's go. <laughs> so I know Derek's got a question. Yes, I do. I was just about this, to ask. This question has been burning a hole. <laughs> so with the flying fish, so you saw at one point up to about 100 to 150 flying yeah. fish. So I assume in the water that the fish are in schools, but once they're in the air, is that a flock of fish? Yeah, they stay together. Yeah, right. yeah. There's actually do, do they call it a flock? <laughs> no. I, I, <laughs> it's still a school of fish. Because they're flying fish, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and sometimes they're like five or six. And I was, you know, in my mind, I was like, there's, they call each other like, hey, Johnny. And then, then they fly and one guy falls in the water earlier than the other wakes up. Johnny, where are you? 
It'd yeah. be a wild thing to see, though, to see all those flying fish because they just they just leap out, and I assume it's a protective measure too. They they're getting away from prey, yeah. and so they're just kind of coasting on giant fins through the air. Yeah, you see them uh, escaping from tuna or mahi mahi, and and then you see the water really rough, and boom, they take off. And and it could be like small ones uh, or big one, medium one, and and the birds will actually mi- match the size of the flying fish. A small bird will catch a small ones, and the medium is supposed to be. Oh, okay. The bigger birds will get the big one that fly really high. But yeah, they will escape, and and you see the strategy between the birds and and the tuna that would you know uh, work together and make it fly and catch it. And, and when I try to catch it, it goes back in, and you catch it. And then the marlin would come in and, and the mahi-mahi would escape. I had a, like one morning, woke up 15 mahi-mahi. You know, there's beautiful blue fish. And they have this uh, weird, like, rounded face, but very sophisticated. And then it'll catch a wave and boom, they'll be gone. And I filmed them. And one day that, you, you, it's like National Geographic in real. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, jump and they go on the side and this make some noise and then you, you try to figure out oh this has got to be like a territorial thing and then other ways they'll fly they'll jump and escape at super fast speed and when one will do that they all take off and and that's when a marlin or like like a dolphin is coming after them and without an instruction you're so in tune with the the, the ocean that you you kind of understand what they're doing like the bird uh, you could see that he's not catching the the fish but he caught a fish and you you, you know that because after, right after it'll go and have a gulp of water. They say, okay, there it is. And then they'll fly different ways. Once they're like, they're full, it'll stay up high like a kite and not move and just observe. And then when they're in the hunt, they go lower and they're ready to hunt and they go down and dive so fast. It's, it's, it was a beautiful, beautiful wildlife for sure. And you get that chance to sit there, you know, there, there's no one else around to disturb, you know, mm-hmm. and you're just sitting there floating along. And you, you've got that chance to totally observe everything that's happening. You don't you don't usually get that kind of opportunity. No. no. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, what about things like dolphins? How? What was the closest they ever got to you? The dolphins, whales, stuff like that. I didn't see many dolphins at all. Um, the whale I saw very very much off the coast of California, like right off the bay of Mount Monterey. Maybe for three days I saw a lot, and they come close, and then, and and then that's it. Um, Dolphins, I didn't see many. Um, right. I saw, yeah, yeah, they were very shy. I didn't, seldom show any. Um, uh, a little bit of jellyfish here and there, different kinds, and one that are tiny, and they have like a little sail, and they they would move. And, and sometimes, you know, I bring by my sea anchor, and, and the, uh, their string, I don't know how you call them, like whatever. The uh, tentacles like, or? Tentacles, yeah, it would be stuck, and then suddenly I would like sting all over my hand. And, oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, the you know it's a white lives. They're escaping. They're pretty much eating each other all the time. So it's not very. <laughs> well, I mean, what you were talking about with the birds and the fish and all that. Well, we were on a canoe trip there uh, last month, and we see all these birds. And what's happening is there's the big lake trout underneath chasing the minnows, and so mm-hmm. the minnows are going upwards. And the loons and seagulls are diving down and yeah. pushing them back down towards the lake trout. So it's this oh, whole and yeah. um, ecosystem. Ecosystem. Really. Yeah, like they're just they're, of, yeah, it's yeah. Just, everybody's just heating everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's but really cool to see it. 
Yeah, they're so adaptive. And if you think about it, like, wow, they're, 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 their whole life is survival. Mm-hmm. If you don't catch them, you're dead. And, and those birds are so efficient at doing what they do. And, they, and they'll hunt other fish or they hunt, I guess, and, you know, when the certain sun is in a different position so that the fish won't, won't see them coming. And um, they're so adapted to the environment. Like the, the day I told you, the, the only day I paddle at night, I could see them fly in the dark around me. And those those gliders will glide through the night like miles and miles, hundreds, thousands of miles, like crazy. And you know, supposedly, I don't know, I want to study more, but they have like two different brands of one sleeps while the other paddles, so flies, and and so efficient. That's that's gorgeous. And then you see us like human beings on the water. If I didn't have my water maker, I'd be dead. Yeah. You know, if I everything I bring after three months, I have to go to land because I'm not adapted, and we're. We're just smart to have tools that we created, but Indian animals are so much adapted to survival. And and then and, and that's the one blog I wrote about how, you know, they're as much or even more uh, existence or they should be more in the world than even us human and, and yeah. how we should correct our mistakes and what we do to detrimental the nature. I'd be happy if half my brain would sleep and let the other half wake and then switch. <laughs> I, I'd get so much more done. I want to have two stomachs so one can have a beer, one can have something else. Exactly. <laughs> That's my dessert stomach. <laughs> now, one at one point, I you, like there's a couple times where you kind of you, you almost like a realization in your daily log that you uh, like at one point you said, well, I I haven't seen or talked to a person and. And in like, you know, in like, uh, 70 days or something. So it's, and so that, that really depth of, of isolation. But one thing that I remarked on was, uh, and it's, you had, I think it was day 61. You, you made a note said, I haven't walked in 60 days. And so that's, it's just, it's a very small kayak. It's, uh, it's only 23 feet long. There's not really much, you can't really walk. So I suppose you could stand up like a stand up paddleboard type thing. But so that must have, like, how does that affect your muscles? Because eventually you're going to have to hit land and, and you're going to have to walk again. So that, yes. that must have been something. Let me go back to the, the non seeing anybody. And, and that was something that was really, unknown because i'm an extrovert i love people i love to hug and be with people have a drink like that's what i'll do all day if i you know i get re-energized with being with people so how and that was maybe one of the reason why i wanted to do that experience kind of push myself outside of the box and see how i would be i didn't feel any loneliness at all so that was actually a good surprise um now regarding to the non-standing yeah the boat is is completely different a rowing boat you could stand you could you know exercise your legs a bit. I was moving my legs through the pedaling system, but not standing. And um, that made some part of the leg strong. The, the, the upper leg of the muscle, muscle of the leg was strong, but the back and my butt completely shrunk. And the body is funny that way. You're going to say, okay, that muscle you don't use. I'm not going to send any energy. In the DSL, I want to use 10 hours a day. I want to send a lot of energy. So I lost, for example, the, my back and my, my core and my lower back is really strong. But my chest is gone, and and like my bicep is gone. I mean, my triceps are okay. Um, now the standing, um, I could stand. You know, I yeah, a little bit wobbly for because of the you know the land land sickness. But it didn't last very long. Um, I think after half an hour, I did feel the weight of the body on the joints and the, and the tendons and my hips and the knees 
or my feet were not used to it. But, you know, it was two weeks ago and now I, I did a hike for an hour with my girlfriend. It was no problem. So I'm not running because, uh, yeah, I could I could you know, get an injury. Um, it'll take some time. I'll, you know, I'm 46, so I'm not building muscle as fast as I used to be. So I'll take my time. It may take six months. I, I really do like just yoga, flexibility, mobility, and, and then a little bit of strength uh, training slowly. Um, they'll come back, uh, but the walking is true. It's I mean, when in your life haven't you walked in three months? <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now, when you were coming up to your destination, when you're finally getting to Helio. 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 Yeah. Was that a bittersweet thing for you? Now, I know when yeah. we go on our canoe trips last day, you're like, okay, we're, it's takeout day. We've done our last portage across this lake and, and we're there. Mm-hmm. But when you actually see that dock where you're, you're taking out, it's like, well, mm-hmm. no, I don't want to leave. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yes, it's, it did happen. Well, I was super happy to, to arrive because I knew there were going to be friends and family that are very dear to me and, and I miss them so much. And, um, I'm very much a hugging person. So, but like you said, you know, you create your own world. It's a 23 foot boat and that's your whole, whole world. It, it, it was my wave. It was my birds. It was my fish, you know, and I had, I would talk to them and you, you're really in symbiosis with your environment and it's a way to survive, I guess. Um, so even the clouds, you know, I would read them. I would, um, so it was very bittersweet uh, knowing that it would be over. Um, but I'm pretty realistic and I know, you know, every, every good thing has an end and it has to have an end. And then the ocean will always be here and, you know, I'll still have a lot of adventures. And so it didn't last very long. I did have a few tears, obviously, (laughs) (laughs) about that. That's, that's me. But, um, no, I was overall, I was really, really happy by the welcome in, in paradise. Yeah, I was, I was actually do, watching the live uh, video there when you were coming in and, you know, boats coming around and standing up with the flare and all that sort of stuff. That was just awesome. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. Um, I only got a couple other things here. You're working on a book and a documentary, as you say. Uh, talk about your support team. Oh, yes. I mean, everybody talks about the person doing the adventure. Who yeah. is behind you? Give Give them a shout out. Uh, yeah, Dave um, is the one guy I had done the, the race of the Yukon River Quest with uh, on a C4, and he was solid. The guy is a feet on the ground, like uh, maybe the opposite of me, like very, very quiet, not not too many words, uh, a man of small words, but the right ones. And in the exact balance that I needed, you know, put me like down to earth all the time when I needed to. Um, we had done a call with uh, Scott Donaldson and um, for the first attempt, and then Dave was saying, "Well, you know, I felt like Syria was a little bit stressed." Wait, 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 wait! You felt? No, no, your support crew. You don't feel anything. It's you have to be like the army. Like it's facts, fact based. You don't feel anything. And he was the right guy because when we were friends, but like somebody who knew me, who was really, really close friend, would not have been a good support crew. And and he would have, you know, he had the whole power, like of. Of of being even calling off like Cyril, I think you're hallucinating. You're, you're you're you know he could call it off, call the Coast Guard and could God get me, even though I was not agreeing to it, you know. And and he was very subtle in the way that he would had the right words at the right time and tell me, let me you know be the captain of my boat, but at the same time you know steering me the right decision. 
um, yeah, Dave was in Santa Cruz and uh, we got in touch like every day. And we talked today on the way down to San Diego and he said, that feels weird. Like what's happening to my days? I feel like something's missing. <laughs> <laughs> but he took it so seriously that it was actually funny that the day we arrived, he said, you have to send me a text releasing me of my, uh, my, my job. Of, no, he didn't say my job, but it really seemed me of my responsibility. And he wanted to close it by, by this one last text. Now, that was the main main contact. Then I had uh, Michelle, the, the professional uh, weather router, uh, a very quiet man in, in his computers in France, and he would be also on top of it. He he offered me his services, so that I was thankful for that. Um, uh, and... You know, it's, it's funny because he was in France, so I knew on Sunday morning he would get, have a nice baguette and croissant. And I would say, please go get a croissant from me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then uh, my girlfriend was very important as well for the emotional side. Um, the first two weeks, we didn't have much communication because I felt like I didn't want to talk to her when I was weak. And, and you know, I said, emotion, I'm very emotional. So if I, if I had to go on an emotional place even more, I couldn't allow myself, but... At one point, I said, okay, let's, let's have a call and actually helped me very much. So then we started to text a little bit more and, and she was very supportive, you know, let your you know, the encouraging words, uh, you're doing it, you know, your uh, people are reacting. And she was the one doing all the social media and okay. kind of trying to extract from me how I felt. Like she's the one to say, okay, what is adventure to you? And like, and then I would think about it all day instead of rambling into whatever I was thinking and, and spit it out on the, she was the one, you know, putting the pictures together and she created the, the following of the people that, that really loved, you know, the fact that I was going into very personal emails or messages and blog. So she was crucial too. Um, and then that was pretty much it there on the back. There was a, a team of uh, two or three electricians and you have to have three because if one is unavailable, you have to ask the other one. And those guys, you know, helped me get prepared. They knew the box. They had a drawing and a design of everything. So, hey, you have to walk, change that wires. I knew how to do a few things, change the fuse, you know, connect my, my electronics directly to the solar panels if I had to, you know, monitor my batteries. But they would be crucial if I had a major issue then to, you know, on the phone change. Electric side, uh, I talked about the medical side, uh, the company Walk Clinic also sponsored me through that 24-7, sent me that, the medical kit where everything is numbered and you say, okay, you got this issue, you go to that number and, and even prescribed um, uh, drugs. And I was lucky. I was really, really good health. Um, there was the, um, uh, my brothers and sisters, like they tr tr translate everything in French for the French side. You know, it's oh, when yes, I write a yeah. blog, it's, it's a lot of work. Um, and then also, they were crucial to explain to my parents what was happening, you know, because my mom, she didn't sleep much. I tell you, my poor mom, uh, and explain, no, we talked to Michelle, the weather router, the, the hurricane is actually downgrading to a tropical storm. That means that Sears ready, blah, 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 you know, and uh, the other team were really preemptive. Like uh, their uh, friend, Greg, who's a physiotherapist. And he explained to me, you know, the tendons and, and, and the, are the most important, like, um, uh, more, more than the muscles. If you have to have a healthy, so you have to train like this and you have to, st to stretch like this. And also another friend, Claire, she's a physiotherapist. When I had an issue with my, um, my IT bands on the left side of, of my thigh, so this is how you stretch. And it's, it's hard to do in that cabin, but you have to do it, you know, roll that way. 
and and people that were just giving their times and 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 their talents and they were completely invested in the, in the success and that was beautiful to to see but that certainly you know without them I wouldn't wouldn't have done it right it definitely takes a village eh yes it takes a village oh yeah 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 it's um, it's quite the time commitment too because like for your weather guy and like that this is like a continuous over 3 months of of they're there for you so it's it's like they're they're committed to this trip too so it's it's an impressive that uh, that you're have able to get this level of support it's, yes. it's pretty oh, yeah it's there's no Sunday or, or morning or evening it doesn't matter yeah um Dave had a dedicated phone I was by his bed and I could text him day or night, and he would respond right away. It's it's, it's beautiful. That's friendship, like the best best yes. level, right? Incredible, it's perfect. Uh, tracking page uh, daily notes is on solo kayak to Hawaii dot com. Um, if people want to find more about you, Facebook, Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the most is Instagram. I put, I'll still post every day, um, and on the Facebook, the adventure page, so Cyril Deramo Adventure. Okay. And the website, I've got two websites: the Solo Kayak to Hawaii that you mentioned, and the other one is going to be the one about uh, more uh, motivational speaker, um, performance coaching, people that want to go into ultra endurance adventure, or you know, training for race, surgeons race, race. I'll do the coaching. Um, so that will be serialderamo.com and good luck to spell it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you have anything else to ask? Do you have anything to add, Cyril, about your trip? Well, about the trip, it was uh, four years in the making. The the hardest, the the quest, the the more prepared you have to be. But um, I think it's um, whoever listens to this podcast, I think I want to remind them that it's it's all about uh, vibration and finding your your inner dream and making it happen. You know, being a dreamer doer. It doesn't matter what it is. I, I've got a, my own podcast because I really want to do this. Where I, I'm trying to understand how people have this fire getting burned in their either in their mind if they're more cerebral, or in their heart, or in their guts if they're more you know uh, a different way of thinking. And how they make it happen. And and it doesn't matter if you want to take. Butterfly, pictures of butterfly around the world. Do that. You want, you want seeing. You want to have friends. Or if you just want a quiet home and, and paint or do whatever you want. But you have to find your own calling and and then do it. Then there's just one life and, and life is beautiful. If you do that, uh, life is an adventure. Definitely is. You're going to take uh, about six months or so relax. And, <laughs> and while you're relaxing, your brain's going to be thinking, Ooh, what's next? Yes. Yeah, it's already starting. I'm trying not to do the rebound thing. But this is how I, I'm built. So it, It'll happen. Something will happen. Well, I want to thank you for, for actually taking the time out uh, to talk to us because that's been like an hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> yes, we very much appreciate your time. Very much so. Very much appreciate. Thank you very much, for uh, Cyril, for coming on this week and, and chatting. And Like I say, we've been following you for months yeah well a couple of years now yeah. i guess and uh to actually you know you're, you you've done it yes it's yeah you know it's mm-hmm. like we've all done it because he's done he finished <laughs> he did it i'm watching we no, live, i'm watching him live right we live now. virtually through you yeah. yes <laughs> you know so thank you and and congratulations I'm, I'm looking forward to eventually meeting in person and, and go paddle on, on the beautiful canada hey oh, anytime perfect. you're Beauty. up toronto way you let us know absolutely we'll take the time out and come and see you 
Thank you. Merci beaucoup. Thank you. Uh, anything else, Derek? Nothing else. Uh, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can download or stream our episodes on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. You can go to the episode page at paddlingadventuresradio.com and stream or download all our episodes there. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your friends, family, and fellow paddlers. Again, thank you to Cyril Deramo to, to come on and, and let us know about his trip and how excited we are to have, have listened and followed along the way and now talked live and in person. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Dirk Specht. We'll see you next time. 